I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me. These opposite elements, they drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground. Welcome to another episode of Notes from Blunderground. I'm Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. How you doing, everybody? Today, we are diving into a subject. Uh, we're going to be talking about the boy crisis. Uh, and uh, this is uh, uh, certainly Notes from Blunderground. Uh, this is something that uh, we've seen quite a bit. In the past few years, uh, I'd say in the past few decades, really, uh, it's been going on since I think probably since the sexual revolution hmm. in the uh, in the '60s, and uh, it really uh, it's kind of reaching ahead now, uh, especially now in our uh, in kind of the cultural milieu. So, right now, I would think that it, men and women are caught up in this big gender debate. All right, and so rather than rather than shy away from uh, the transgender and the gender debate, I think probably what I'd like to do is to lean into it at least at first, uh, because I do think it has a lot to do with uh, the current state of the world. Uh, so, one thing that you might have seen recently, as you may or you might have heard, is uh, the film by the Daily Wire by Matt Walsh, uh, "What Is a Woman." I haven't heard. I haven't personally heard of it. But. Okay, yeah, this is a. It is a, a movie that is. Uh, it basically is is approaching this leftist narrative about uh, about gender, uh, about uh, about what is a, what is a woman? Because this whole debate is: can men have babies? Uh, if if a woman transitions into a man, then that woman would have a uterus, and then she would be able to have babies while identifying as a man. And also, too, uh, the this uh, narrative that. Uh, transgender people, transgender women are real women. And so what's what's interesting about all this uh, is, uh, and we have a couple notes from Blunderground here we're going to take a look at. Uh, and the first one comes from uh, a Twitter user by the name of Mac. And what he says is he says, women are finally experiencing in one part of society what men have been experiencing for decades, being pushed out of their own spaces or being forced to accept the mentally ill. Congratulations on equality, ladies. You earned it. Well, that's kind of something that uh, we've sort of flipped back on their heads. Like, like as they finally got everything they wanted, so to speak, it was like, oh, well, how's the 50-hour week, you know, work week working for you now? And oh, they're like, yeah. like, oh, you got all the office jobs. Well, I don't see you guys out here, you know, working the power lines when it's uh, 10 below. Well, you know, it's interesting that he mentions the um, – he mentions the mentally ill, and he mentions. I think what he's referring to there is he's referring to um, he's referring to gender dysphoria, hmm. and so I, I think just being being a member of Generation X myself, you go back and, into when that the the whole when when homosexuality began to be a, a large cultural discussion, and there was this push, okay, that you know we didn't want to we didn't want to have. You know, we didn't want to stop calling people names, and we wanted to have this legitimacy. And so I think as a man, it was very difficult to express, and I don't think that a lot of people expressed it in a, in, in a very uh, in a very healthy way at that time. But there's something about it, okay? So you're talking about being a man or, or masculinity. Uh, you're, you're facing structural changes in society, and these are based on the sexual revolution and other things. 
but you're also having to accept this whole new class of man and you're having to accept this whole new class into society. And so for women, this was a, a group acceptance. And so, but for a man, it really was kind of redefining what it was to be a man. And so it's very interesting here. Um, Mackie goes on to say, perhaps next time men speak about the importance of allowing them to have their own spaces, you will listen to them instead of complaining about uh, inc- inclusivity and declaring that you're just as competent as them uh, at whatever hobby or thing that they won't include you. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, probably someone who said it even better was James Lindsay. Uh, all right. And so James Lindsay, no friend to evangelical Christianity uh, at all, uh, but uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so uh, I think there's a lot of people you can kind of put into that category. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh, here he says, he says this, uh, James Lindsay says, why is there no what is a man? Okay. He's referring to that film, What right. is a Woman? Right. So why is it that there is no movie called What is a Man? Well, the reason, says James Lindsay, is because men are already defeated. All right, ouch. Okay, so if you're if you hear that and it hurts, then you're probably you're probably all in for the next sixty minutes because we're gonna go through all this piece by piece. Uh, if not, then uh, maybe you want to uh, check out the show notes, check out some of the articles. Is really uh, this is a, a real hot point in society here because men are already defeated. All right, feminism accomplished that. All right, it's already won. All right, so we're on now post. Uh, we're post feminism in the war against men. Don't worry about it. You, they, they've won. So it's all smoking ash. The dialectic prog- progress uh, now uh, is uh, to defeat feminism. Right. Also, they don't want people thinking about what makes a man because they don't want men. Okay, because men would just shut this nonsense down. All right. So that's James Lindsay, and that's what he says. He goes on to talk about the dialectic, okay? When he says dialectic, he's talking about language, all right? So, and that's really where the war is between left and right. And we'll talk more about this as we go. But it's always about language, left and right. We're using the same words, but we have different meanings. And we're in a war to take over institutions to try to establish those meanings, usually by force. Uh, And so here, the dialectic always progresses by chopping down the previous thing and then it moves left, right? So what we do is we say, okay, we have a, we have a man, we have a masculine dialectic, okay? So we, we, we talk like a man, we look like a man, we have a definition of a man. And so then what we do is we're going to chop that down, all right? So we don't want to have men anymore and then we're going to move left. And so what we're going to have is we're going to have, we're going to have men and then we're going to have homosexual men and then we're going to have uh, women who are going to be in control, and then we're going to cut them down, and then we're going to replace them with this pseudo kind of, I don't know. It's like our slice of the pie just keeps getting smaller. Kind of smaller, yeah, yeah, and I think so. I think so. Uh, and and so you end up kind of with this this transgender kind of self-identification space. And, and to kind of bring it back around, uh, again, I want to bring in uh, – a fascinating situation here. Okay, I want to bring in uh, an. Uh, this is an email that was written to Rod Dreyer. Uh, and so, if you do, you know who Rod Dreyer is? Ah, uh, not a clue on that one. I'm lost. Not a clue. No, never heard of the guy. You've never heard of Rod Dreyer? No. All right, so we're probably gonna have. To, well, I'm probably gonna put a book. Yeah, educate on there. me and and the rest of the yeah, audience. Yeah, no, I think that. Um, so we'll probably. Um, I think we'll probably have to put the Benedict. We'll put the Benedict option on there. You got to remember, like, okay, so so when our producer came up with this material, okay, I was wondering, like, was was there a lack of things going on? We're running short on time, like, like, <laughs> like, 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 there's a boy crisis. Like, what is happening here? Like, oh yeah, no, uh, a boy crisis. Well, no, I mean, if you if you dig into it and you look through some of the links, like, and I don't know if you really just think about your life as a man yeah. where you stand now, sure, you know, uh, and what's been going on around you the last ten, fifteen years. Um, yeah. You probably realize it, it. It really is kind of a, a big issue. That's um, sort of just an. It's it's kind of in the undercurrent because people just like there's so much else going on wrong in the world. Like why can can we really worry about Bruce Jenner right now? Like I don't know. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I think we really need to. The uh, Rod Dreyer is uh, an author. He's a Catholic, uh, and he's mm-hmm. a Catholic intellectual. So it's kind of a bit of a subculture of Catholic intellectualism. And um, so uh, I don't always march and step with them, but I do like hanging out in their spaces every once in a while because they say some pretty smart things. Hmm. Uh, but uh, here, Rod Dreyer, uh, he has a um, uh, he has a, a 
on a, a space on American Conservative where he writes. And this is an email that was written to him by uh, a transgender boy. All right, so this is a, a boy who has undergone the surgery and has transitioned into a woman. Uh, and so uh, he's transgender. He's now a woman, but he was a boy. And so anyhow, he does have a sensitivity for spirituality, and he kind of latches on to dryer a little bit, and he writes him an email. I'm going to read it here. You can get this in the show notes. Uh, There should be a link there for you. So uh, this is the email. He says, I've been reading your blog for several months, and I've enjoyed both your perspective and your intellectual honesty. I'm writing this email to share some personal perspectives on transsexuality that I've not read elsewhere, diverging substantially from both the common left-right positions, and I hope you find them interesting. Having read innumerable takes on transgender issues over the last decade, I've come to find the narrative explanations for the modern instance of the phenomenon lacking. On one hand, the left constantly innovates a linguistic matrix of concepts engineered as articles of faith, uh, referentially justifying themselves in relation to other inventions, synthesizing a supporting web for belief contextualization. All right, so this young man is a, is a fan of big words, as am I. Uh, so I see that. As you can see that, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. here, let me just jump in here. So he's talking about the left and how they're going to create new words and how those words are going to be dependent upon one another to create a, fr- a framework of faith, of faithful. Yeah, like my first thought when you said that at the end there, I was like, okay, let me try to make sense of this real quick. And to dumb it down, I was like, well, don't they always do that? <laughs> They do. It's exactly what they do. Like not just this topic. I mean, if you haven't figured that out, man, I mean, it keeps me up at night. I don't know about you. I can barely sleep at night. I don't know why we don't. Like, why are we not doing this? Like, this is a winning strategy for them, clearly. <laughs> oh, it's, it's because we don't have control of the institutions. I mean, what yeah, institution? I mean, you know, we just don't. I mean, you right. think about it. Financial institutions. I mean, that's suck at making movies. We pretty much, yeah. We do that too. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, So he's going to talk about, he says, this style of rhetoric aims to entrench social dialogue in such a thing, keeping it at a safe distance from questions relating to the actual causal source of the phenomena. So effectively, you get shouted down. So if you say, well, I have a legitimate grievance, then someone says, well, you know, you're just a privileged white cis man, and that's what white privileged white cis men do. And so then, therefore, you end up going around in circles, and you never get you never get to the point of actually trying to look at people's unspoken assumptions and, it's always, and the causes. It's always like they don't care that they're making the same point. Actually, the main the same statement over and over and over again. Like it sounds so stupid to say that. You know, it really does, and, and it's supposed to like now that it. Elon Musk said he was going to get rid of the bots, and I know that a lot of them are gone, and and they're doing a lot of good work in that area. But I always figured some of that stuff was the bots, and now that the bots are like gone, I go and I look, and I still see these comments, and it blows my mind. I'm like, who are these people? I'm talking the real people. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, like, are there even real people? I mean, are these people real? No, I'm, I'm not even talking tweets. I'm talking like people you can see standing outside oh. holding a sign that would just scream back in a conservative's face the exact same statement over and over and over. Just a parroted statement that they have heard that was made up by somebody on the political left. Beyond the pale. And, and like, and, and, and someone on the right is trying to have a conversation with them. Yeah. And they're just same statement over and over. Yeah. It's well, this like, are you not capable of thought? Yeah. Well, this young man, he's going to peel off on the left here. He's just talking about the left. Now he's going to talk about the right. The right, by contrast, spends many days futilely trying to attack the most outrageous and ungrounded concepts of the opposition, playing to an already sympathetic audience, but utterly ineffectual at achieving any sort of meaningful ideological turnover. Or, if more intellectually inclined, conservatives attempt broad pictures, explanations, okay, based on moral and spiritual decline. All right, so I believe there is some truth to the latter, but a better picture emerges when one looks at things on a more granular level. So basically what he's saying is is that the, the left is basically saying, oh, well, you know, what are you, stupid? Don't you know that it's morally wrong? And we're blaming it on the decline of the church attendance and the decline in religious belief. Um, and, I mean, all those things are true, uh, but, you know, and I, I actually agree with him in terms of saying it's wrong. You know, you can't, you're talking to people who no longer hold that assumption. They don't, they no longer hold to that. And so, uh, you know, they no longer hold to an objective truth. Uh, and, and so something that comes across the board. Uh, so. Well, he mentioned futility. I'll agree with him there. Yeah. It is. 
and and he essentially said whether or not you make a, a lower end argument or a higher end argument against their absurdity, it doesn't really matter. Mm. You you can you can make like a simple redneck statement about it, or you can pull out like pie charts. Yeah, and, and they don't care. Like like if they make up, you know, they choose truth over facts, right? Mm. <laughs> Biden told us that. Right. Oh yeah. That's oh, right. Truth, that. truth over facts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Truth I mean, it doesn't facts. matter how you present truth to these people. They just don't care. Well, yeah, in some ways. So uh, he goes on and he, he kind of he gets very technical. And I think I'm going to switch over. I'm going to switch over some of this stuff. Hmm. But he does. He talks about this here. And uh, I'm going to pick this up here. And I want you to listen to this. Because this is really raw. Uh, and uh, I actually read this article the first time, and it really struck me, and I never forgot it. Uh, it was easy to find when I went to look for it. Mm. So he says this, says, on a very concrete level, he's talking here about transitioning specifically from male to female. All right, he's not, uh, not going to talk about female to male. He does say that that's its own thing, and, and there's lots to talk about there, but mm. he's talking about going from male to female. On a very concrete level, there is very little appealing to boys and young men in the modern world. Before they can even make sense of it, boys look around and see parents or parents of their friends getting divorced. Well, before we became adults, we grew accustomed to transitory friendships and relationships, a fact that only became more real as we face realities of a geographically liquid labor market, Hmm. forcing several cross-country trips before we turned to the age of 30. The dating market is brutal especially for socially awkward boys or those less virile and less masculine. To many boys, the dream of owning a home and land feels antiquated and even impossible. Perhaps they witnessed their own parents brutally struggling to pay, to pay a mortgage or they grew up around those who have never done anything other than rent. They are subjected to a cruel form of education. Additionally, one that is highly demeaning to gifted children and promised that their reward for working diligently for half a decade is that they might be able to work in a cubicle at FANG, which, if you don't know, is an acronym. It means Facebook, Apple, Alphabet for Google uh, or Netflix. Hmm. Uh, So social media from 9 to 5 until you turn 60. Yeah. So in short, the modern version of a man is one fundamentally emasculated and servile. Okay. It's rough. Not, yeah, it's rough. And he's not, <laughs> and he's not done. Okay. So here it is. And it's rough. It's not done. So I'm going to keep going here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll let that sink in for just a moment. I'll keep going. Yeah, he's not wrong. I think this accounts for much of the current cultural patterns. Masculinity is now so reduced that an increasing portion of boys turn their eyes away from it in disgust. As early as eight years old, I experienced these emotions, eventually culminating in a deep sense of nihilism that would stay with me for over a decade. Latent to this was an awareness that society was conditioning me to accept a life that was fundamentally meaningless, but I lacked the words and the experience to truly identify my feelings. By the time I was 11 years old, my sexuality had manifested to the point where I realized it was incompatible with any sort of normal life. The kind that I didn't want to to I, the kind that I didn't want to begin with. Even as I still desired love, a few years later, I learned of the possibility of transition, but I found it grotesque and debasing, and I turned away from it. But some part of my heart ached for it. Okay, to those like myself, uh, and he says a modern American, so to those, he's speaking to those like himself, Christianity was never a viable answer, in part because it doesn't speak to this anger, and in part because it has a certain dopey clumsiness to it. Evangelical Christianity always seems like a haven for televangelical grifters with their grifter base and Catholicism as a nest of hypocrites led by pedophiles. That was the cultural perception, at least. In the face of what I perceived to be the horrifying reality of modern life, religious faith seemed an ineffectual solution. Alongside this was the perception that Christians were largely domesticated, inoffensive, and tame, despite all leftist uh, protestation to the contrary. 
Yet a soul that burns with fury does not seek to be placated and resents that which would tame it. I believe this is one reason the post-Christian far right is in ascendance. They alone have found the words to give voice to the rage that many young men and boys feel. For my part, that rage stayed with me until my early 20s, until it consumed itself, leaving ashes and an absolute depression in its wake, at which point the idea of transition, having haunted me for years, no longer disgusted me. It was never about deluding myself into believing that I really was a woman, but rather accepting the nature of the desires that I felt and symbolically making them a part of myself and inscribing that truth into my body. He's talking about uh, normal life there. Okay, so he's talking about a normal life. I offer my example uh, partly because I know it well, yet all because I've had enough experience in the LGBTQ world to know that isn't truly special. I have served on diversity committees at a high level in elite academic institutions. I have supervised multiple LGBTQ youth groups, participated in online discords, and borne witness to the cultural flows that orient people to transitioning. Many of these young adults and teenagers are highly intelligent, but disgusted by the state of our society for reasons they struggle to put into words even as it is the very same that offers them incredible freedom and encourages their exploration and identity. Often enough, they are indoctrinated into the web of cultural leftism, intellectually blocking them from any vantage that might offer any higher insight into their nature. Many are shaped to have a dystopian uh, disposition, excuse me. Many are shaped to have a disposition to desire gender transition long before they stumble onto the concept. Men like Orban uh, over in Europe can patch the decay and delay it a few years, but the root cause is much deeper than things like Drag Queen Hour or a salacious children's book on gender identity. These are but symptoms. The fundamental problem is not a desire to be trans. It is a desire to not be a man. A boy who enjoys being a boy will never find himself culturally groomed into transitioning. But one conditioned to despise his own nature needs only the faintest push. Suppression only goes so far. And until these root causes are addressed with a more desirable and beautiful idea of masculinity, I believe this social process will continue. Ending on a personal note, I don't regret my choice to transition and I wouldn't do a moment in my life differently. Uh, I found the love I always sought and that alone redeems my mistake. But I cannot help but think that many who are transitioning now are inviting great pain onto themselves and they will find no such deliverance. For them, the rest of their lives will be spent in a state of perpetual resentment, haunted, haunted, by demons that they cannot name. Well, <laughs> I I don't even like I'm almost speechless. What in the what what did you think of it? First off, how did you make it through reading that whole thing uh, when you found it? And what did you think of that? Uh, I mean, I, it's 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 very profound. And when I read it, I, I just felt like I had you know you get that feeling when someone puts into words something that you know you know the essence of. Like I thought, I had put a lot of that into words, uh, and then then this uh, this young man, just I, I never forgot it. I mean, never forgot it. I mean, as soon as I read it, I, I could always you say, "Hey, you know that Roger article? Oh yeah, yeah, no problem." You know, and it stuck with me like a burn on my brain. I'm not gonna remember the guy's name. I highly doubt that, uh, but I will definitely remember hearing about that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, letter. My goodness, like. In the middle of it there, like, I'm like, all right, yeah, I agree with you. Like, yeah, like, you have to fight for your right to party, so so to speak, to to be a man. Like, being a man has been, like, that, that position has just been lowered so much. Like, uh, it's been taken, uh, traditionally, uh, jobs that have been held by men have been uh, taken by women. Um, our role as fathers has been reduced I mean, how many people are paying alimony? You pretty much can expect now in a, a custody case that 
you know, the dad's going to lose. It's a surprise if a dad wins. Um, but none of this gives you an excuse for the, the second half of that letter. I'm, uh, how do you mean? I, he's, because the second half of that, he go, he's basically saying, because of all these things, because of everything society has made me feel, now I'm going to go ahead and just be a woman. Like, I'm going to take it to the extreme because my feelings have been hurt. Well, like, I mean, dude, I don't... that's let... the problem with masculinity right there. You're bending over and taking it. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't think that he's worthy of scorn. I mean, if you're... Uh, uh, it kind of sounds like you're kind of throwing some scorn at this guy. And, uh, I mean, he sounds like a wounded individual. I mean, I think he puts... I don't think he really hides it out there. And I think there are a lot of wounded people, wounded individuals. Um, I mean, I certainly... Uh, he certainly does a good job of explaining his feelings and also trying to get in at some root causes. There's no problem with with men having feelings at all. I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Like, like I hug my sons and whatever. Like, you know, that's not a big deal to me. I'm not one of those guys that doesn't show affection. That's fine. But when you take it to turn yourself into a woman and then you use society's treatment of men in general and your feelings... As, as a reason to do that, it sounds like you're just trying to justify what you felt like doing anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of I'm not, I'm going to part ways with you here because I'm not going to I don't want to judge people's motivation. You're you're pretty much describing to this guy how he feels and what he thinks. And I'm saying what I'm saying that's what I think. And so, um, that I mean, bravo to him for putting his feelings out there like that. Like a lot of people won't, but I mean, I. In today's society, it's more accepted to put that feeling out there than it is to come out as a guy and say, hey, like, I totally got screwed in this divorce back here. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, I think a lot of it has to do, you You, you can kind of talk about the, the nature, of, like a masculine nature and a feminine nature. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, okay, is women are, okay, so it really comes down to this, all right? Women are a lot, in a lot of ways, are focused on, they get the benefit of being, okay, of being, whereas men oftentimes are kind of stuck into a, a specific role of doing, yeah. right? All right, so think of it in the, uh, uh, in the concept of human being and human doing, okay? So the way that I've, uh, I've, I've, I've had it explained to me and, and, and talked to women about this and, and had it verified, um, and I, is, is that, you know, women are kind of like a garden, Okay, so you're, you're walking around in a garden, and then you see certain areas. Say, okay, well, this part of the garden doesn't have a lot of water, so give this a little water. And this little area needs a little pruning, so I'll give this a little pruning. And so there's always these different aspects. And so in a garden, a garden grows. It becomes. All right, and so this is a lot of, of the feminine nature. Think about it. I mean, right, women, women excel in their roles, right? So women will say, when they, when they get pregnant, they say, I am pregnant, or when they get married, they say, I am a wife, okay? Or I am a good cook, or I'm a good, or I'm a mom. So they usually take on their roles. And it's not that men don't have roles as well, but it's in the value, okay? It's in the value. And it's also in the respect, in, in where they're respected. So if a woman becomes a mom, then she gains social status, not only in society in general, mm-hmm. but also amongst her peers, all right? So amongst other women. Yeah. And so women are oftentimes, they, they are able to be or they're able to become. And so society is actually kind of taking this up in terms of language, in terms of the way that we speak about things. Uh, because, you know, we say in society, we say, you can become anything you want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we've been saying that since I was a kid. Well, right, and sen- yeah, right. and since you were a kid, you've always heard that your entire life. Yeah, right. So, uh, but in a former age, mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that that was. I mean, what about you can do anything you want to? Okay, so everything is you can be whatever you want to be, and so this is where uh, men and women. Okay, so in our current society. Uh, and, and so, and I'm looking at things at a structural level here. Okay, so I'm not trying to denigrate one gender over another, but I will look at the I will look at the structures that we have in our society. Uh, and so, the structures for women is women have a clear cut path, pretty much across the board. All right, so you can pretty much do whatever you like. If a woman says, "Well," I'm decided like to be a housewife. Well, there's a path to do that, and it's supported, yeah. it's accepted. Uh, if a woman says, "I want to be a CEO of a cor- of a corporation," there's a path for that. It's accepted. Yep. If she says, "I want to be an engineer," there's a path for that. She and, can get, uh, and many times in those types of roles, celebrated. 
Well, and that's exactly right. More and they're masculine. all celebrated. They're all celebrated. Right. If a woman says, I want to be a fighter in the UFC and I want to win the world championship title, you know, and, and they, they will. You can see it on, on Twitter all the time. They're very, they're celebrated, right? Yeah. And so, um, so you'll have this. And so they're always celebrated on their multiple paths, okay, on their multiple paths. Whereas with a man, it's not that men don't have roles like women do, okay, but they don't value those roles. You see, men always, men always, it's competition, all right? And it's always competition and comparison. Uh, because for men, it's providing and protecting. Uh, so that's why, for example, men always ask each other, like, what do you do for work? Right. right? I mean, right. so if you've ever wondered, and, and maybe I won't let the cat out of the bag here for some, but if you've ever wondered, the reason why men will always ask another guy, hey, what do you do for work? Okay, it's the simple, easiest way to compare myself against that man. Because I can extrapolate so much information. From based off what you do. Yeah, based off what you do. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, what do you do? Well, you tell me. Well, now I know. I know, you know what you do. I know approximately how long you worked for it. Uh, based on your clothes and on your fan, on your what, you know, how good your wife looks, oh, yeah. you know, like all that. Like, I know uh, how good you did in school. I know that how fast you went up the, per- the you went up the ladder. Uh, I know how that job is perceived by other people. Uh, I can know how hard you need to work. And so it, you can extrapolate so much information from that. Well, I want to point something out. Uh, yeah. You don't, you don't actually know. Now, I'm I'm gonna, I'm playing devil's advocate here because do I think you can glean a lot of information from that? Pick a fight. Oh, ab- absolutely. Pick a fight. Um, I, I am. You already know me, <laughs> but I'm gonna say that aren't aren't you making a judgment now? Like you're not willing to judge the dude who totally just turned himself into a chick, but another another guy who's actually a guy who's fulfilling his role as a guy, you'll be like, well. Because I know what you do for a living now. Now I can extrapolate all this other information out of you. You know, like I can just assume the rest of it. Yeah. Whereas I, I was assuming that, and I got called out on that. Is that not the same thing? Or well, I mean, I do think that uh, it's a role of generalization. You say, okay, yeah. so people will always say, so if you, if you get into a discussion, mm-hmm. uh, and people will say, well, you're generalizing, okay. And when people say that to me, uh, sometimes I admit that I. I mean, sometimes I, I take the criticism, but other times I have to defend myself and I say, yeah, you know what, I am generalizing because there are certain issues in life that you can't speak about unless you generalize. Okay, like when I when you general like we all generalize all the time. We say, "Well, I'm going down to Boston tomorrow." Oh, I, I bet you the traffic will be bad, right? No one ever says, "Well, you know, my aunt my, my aunt Jane went down to Boston five weeks ago, and when she went, there wasn't a lot of traffic." So how dare you say that you you it's always traffic because it's always traffic in Boston? Okay, all right now, no one says that. All right, people go, everyone goes, "I'm a normal human being." And I understand, okay, so listen, because I don't want to have to defend, I don't want to have to sit around and go around the circle, like, over and over again, every time I say something. So everybody understands that Boston's a busy place, and if you go to Boston, chances are there's a lot of traffic. But maybe every once in a while, if you go on the odd day, or if you go at 3 o'clock in the morning, there won't be any traffic, and then you'll be fine. What's your problem with Boston? Well, I don't have a problem with Boston. (laughs) What's your problem? I mean, what's your problem with this guy in the article? Right? <laughs> Actually, nothing. But I do. Before I forget this question, yes. I want to ask him. Yeah. So, if you were to meet him, what would you say to him? Well, maybe I don't know if it's advice or or whatever. Yeah. You know, because you you clearly have your own thoughts one way or the other on what he wrote. What would you say to him? What would I say to him? Yeah, because I mean, I I don't want to ascribe any feelings of how I think you may feel towards him or his feelings. So I just want your, you know, your native answer on this. Well, I mean, I, okay. So what would you say to him? Without knowing the context, I would say that he, in, he, put, he puts a particular, he puts a particular emphasis on root causes and he talks about society as being full of symptoms and the, how people don't get at the root of the problem. And then he talks about um, his upbringing as a boy from the age of about six mm-hmm. to, uh, I think, um, I was about uh, 11, okay. right? And so, and I, I think that his observations on that are, are very thoughtful, uh, and I think they're uh, I think they're very mature, and I think they're well thought out. I think that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with the depth of thought that he's able to put into root causes. Same. Uh, and so I would tell him that, uh, I would tell him that I really admire um you know, I would tell him that I, I really admire his mind and I admire his vocabulary. 
Uh, and so, and I would do that because that's what a man needs to do to another man. You know, uh, if I'm, if I want to try to, you know, it, it, so, you know, it's not the thing I can change. So I would try, I would want to reach out and I would, I would, uh, try to connect with him, a part of him, uh, to show him that, Hey, you know, masculinity exists. I want to reach that part of him. And I tell him, I do, I admire his, uh, I admire his vocabulary and I admire his ability to think through root causes. And, um, and I think that's a very masculine thing and, and, and for him to do. I was just curious, like just, you know, coming from a Christian standpoint, you know, man to man and knowing what he's done and where that stands in, in God's eyes. Yeah. You know, what sort of man to man Christian um, advice would you be would you be giving him? I mean, sh- certainly you the topic would have to come up. Well, yeah, no, of course. I mean, I would, I would do. I mean, I would, I would try to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what I would do. It's it's one thing that I I understand what you're saying. Like, it's one thing to be able to appreciate somebody's ability to put uh, words down that um, that are that are thoughts that many of us have but really can't express and he did so in a very eloquent way and that made a lot of sense that a lot of people couldn't have done and it's one thing to respect that but then it's a whole another thing to go well because you were so eloquent on paper uh you know and i feel kind of bad for you you know and i can identify with a couple of these thoughts you have or whatever because like i was made fun of as a kid too you know so like I totally like, you know, that's why I said, like, when he was like eight years old or whatever, I told, I, I get exactly what he's talking about, but that doesn't mean I went and put dresses on, you know what I'm saying? Um, so you got to draw a line there. I would, I would think where you're like, okay, well, I get all that, but look, fella, <laughs> you're still a fella, you know, like, that's what God says. Like, we're not going to, you know, soften God's word for you just because you feel bad. Well, I, I okay, so when Jonah went to Nineveh, Nineveh was an Assyrian city. Okay. All right. And so when he went, uh, and so the Assyrians at that time, when Jonah went there, uh, the Assyrians would um, one of their one of the practices that they would do is they would uh, they would when they would capture people in a city. Okay. They would uh, they would they would tie a rope around their neck and they would lead them around like dogs. All right. And so what they would do is they wanted to break the people. That was the whole concept was they wanted they would break the people. All right. The Babylonians are worse. They used to they used to take entire towns and drive them into the desert and then leave them there to starve to death. Uh, But the Assyrians would take people by the neck and they would drag them to their family tombs and they would bust open the family tombs. Okay, and they would drag out all the bones. All right. And so what they would do is they would give they would give the person a rock or a hammer. Okay, and they would they would have that person by the rope. And they would whip the person as they used the rock to crush the bones of their ancestors. Okay, so that they would, uh, so they were there, and so they would crush the bones of their own of their own ancestors into dust. All right. So, and yet, God says, "Should I not care for them?" Okay. So, but maybe Jonah wanted to draw a line. Maybe he wanted to draw a line. <laughs> I, I I understand that, but um, I, I guess I my my question was would would you not share with him like okay I get all this I I, I respect all that like I can respect what you put down on paper and and, and whatnot but um, what could we do to maybe get you back on the right track you know yeah I'm always uh, I mean. Listen, I I'm always and I think about in terms of like the emotional bank account, you know. I mean, sort in terms of building up with people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really. I kind of look at Christianity these days as being in a negative world. I don't really look at it as being in a positive world. Um, he obviously has a. Um, he's obviously shared his feelings on Christianity. So uh, here and so for me coming in and saying. Hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm a real big shot. I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, you know, uh, here, let me wag my junk in front of you and let you know that God loves you. And you now to get back on the track. That's not gonna. It's not gonna move the needle with this guy. You know, no, I, this guy. You need to build up a little bit in the emotional bank account, and then before you, you can talk to him, you know. No, I, I, I'd have to agree with you that uh, definitely. I mean, he says he calls. He says. Uh, he, he says he talks about Christianity. He's already. He's already. Um, 
He's already rejected the idea. I know that. Yeah, I mean, he's already rejected the idea. So, I mean, I come in and, I mean, what am I going to say? And So, what am I going to say? I want to come in. I want to love the guy. And so, loving the guy is going gonna, is gonna to be acknowledging him as a human being. And I want to try to, um, I want to try to, um, uh, I would say something nice, you know, and I would share my thoughts and try to establish a friendship. You know, when we, I spent the summer in, uh, you know, I spent a summer in Yellowstone National Park and we told people about the gospel yeah. and all summer. And it, we didn't, it wasn't just handing out tracks. Like I'd be like, oh, okay, like, hey, you, like, what's your name? Okay, well, who cares? I don't care what your name is. Here's a good gospel track and get out, you know, right? right? No, you get to be people's friends and you say, my name is Tom. And then you build it up and then you're building up, like you're putting money into a bank account. And so then when you're when you're sitting down with a person and you're presenting the gospel to them, you know, and you're saying, hey, you know, you know, I'm a Christian, don't you? You know, yeah, I know that. Well, you know, this is the time I really would like to have a conversation with you about that, what that really means. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Right. So most people like, you know, because if you could give someone you knock on someone's door and you're going to give them a Bible track. Not that I think Bible tracks are wrong. Bible tracks are great and they're fine. So yeah. and I got no problem with them. OK, but if you knock on someone's door and you give them a Bible track, they shut the door in your face. All right. So there but if you are friendly with someone and you're building up uh in that account, in that bank account you're building up money you're building up trust so that when you sit down with them and then you say i want to talk to you about the gospel of john would you be willing to talk to me about that would talk to me about the gospel for a few minutes they're not just going to say oh i've been waiting for you to spring this on me you jerk and then run away and then it's over and then you've wasted your time you know yeah. so you you have to like i don't really believe in the stick thing i mean i'm not in this whole thing you're going to come around and say well you know i mean it, you know if 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 you don't accept christ right now you're just going to go straight to hell and you just hit people with a bunch of sticks you know i mean you gotta love people man you know yeah you're you're not wrong you're not wrong i just on its face i saw that and i was like yeah i i i think that would fall into for like and that's why that's why we all have different gifts like you know yeah. for me that that's like a i okay he's been warned you know warned the wicked thing oh yeah and i'm i'm all set like i'm good i and I, I've, I've had, before I was saved, I had gay friends. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are Christians. I don't, you, you can go online. You can find, like, uh, people who have detransitioned, de- people who have transitioned, and then they accept mm-hmm. the Lord, and then they detransition. They go back mm-hmm. to their they go back to their God-given gender, huh. and then they um, they become, like, um, uh, they, they witness to the uh, trans community. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's the best thing they could possibly do, because, I mean, who else is going to have an idea of, what those people are going through, but them. I mean, sure, you know, I, I, I definitely do. Like, I mean, I love, I love everyone. I do. Um, just, I see that, and I, I'm like, come on, man. Like, really, dude. Like, like, what would, like, what would Mike Rowe say about this? You know what I'm saying? Like, like Mike Rowe had his thoughts on uh, this this past week, actually. Um, about transgenderism? No, just ab- about masculinity. In 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 it in general in decline and like how it's how it's been declining. He said, "Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think he was talking about he was talking about work. I think he was he was, but that's that's the whole attitude though uh, today. He said it was he said part of it was from screen time, and that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me until the story you just told me. And I'm like, huh, like well, where do we get these narratives that it's okay to like start transitioning from a boy to a girl and it's become more normalized the more technology we have, the more that kids are able to, like, watch uh, these social influencers, you know, on Instagram and all this stuff where they can see that, like, oh, my favorite celebrity is, like, you know, a guy doing girl things and a girl doing guy things, and that's perfectly fine, and everything's all, like, mixed up, and then we got gender dysphoria going on. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of illustrative here because you've kind of like I read it and then you, you just went right over your head, mm-hmm. and so I think that's part of the that's part of the problem and that that people don't people are not looking at this the correct way, All right? So in, in here he talks about he talks about how it wasn't that he wanted to transition that wasn't the case, and it wasn't that he wanted to be a girl he didn't want to be a boy. All right. So yeah. he didn't he wanted to live a great life and he looked at himself as a boy and said, as a boy, I'm not going to live a great life. Like I, the best I can possibly do is as a boy is to uh, is to uh, he said here he says 
They are subjected to a cruel form of education, and they are promised that their reward will be working diligently for half a decade uh, at either Facebook, Apple, uh, Google, or Netflix from 9 to 5 until they die. And so uh, he looked at it, and, and he saw that that was the best he could do. And, and it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Here's the thing, Steve, right? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It was true for him, okay? Like, it was true enough that he transitioned away from a boy and into a girl. And so it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Like, you can say, hey, dude, you're wrong. Well, it doesn't matter. No one cares, all right? No one cares, and it doesn't matter. All right, like you got to connect with people. Like that's what this guy's talking about. This guy's saying you got to go to the underlying problems. And the underlying problems is that as an 11-year-old boy, he saw no future for himself and he's got a decent point. I I'm not saying he doesn't, but why couldn't you write that same letter as a man? Why? Why not? Well, because every person's different. I mean, and I'm not trying to make a monolith out. I mean, I guess you could. He could have done the same thing as a guy. I'm not trying to. Ju- it's just it's something that got brought up before me, and I didn't. I didn't go looking for this dude, or I. I just, you know, you brought it to my attention, so I go. Well, here's my thoughts on it. I don't know. Like I, I get it, dude. Like it sucks. Like you got women taking over every single guy role there possibly is. You got women throwing fake sexual harassment claims out that seem to stick and try to ruin guys' careers, and that's perfectly fine. Like. I got it. The world symptoms, is, symptoms, symptoms. Dude, you're hitting all the symptoms. The world's turned upside you're down. Not. Let's tracking. Take, let's take a look. Listen, it's all the symptoms, okay? So I don't really want to compete with people who are talking about symptoms because those podcasts are like a dime a dozen. There's yeah. like fifty thousand podcasts that you can listen to at any given. You're just you're just you're doing this. You're not even serious about this. You're just trying to goad me because you want stuff for short clips. <laughs> What it is? You're no, trying, you're trying to goad me. All this stuff is. I'm, sim- is I'm perfect for and this. Because I don't want, and I don't want to sit here and talk about symptoms because then I got to compete with a hundred thousand other people who are all talking about the same thing. All right, so I would prefer to talk about some of the root causes, some of, the, of the, these issues. And so, uh, so here, so if we look at the nature of masculinity and femininity, then we're really looking at okay, femininity is born out of uh, biology and nature primarily, all right? So, for example, when a woman becomes pregnant, right, that's part of biology. Yeah. And so uh, that's, it can't be changed, right? So, okay. it, yeah, it's not something that can be not changed. Yet. But for a man, it that's not necessarily true. So uh, for a man, it's, uh, the role of a man is, is it's less obvious. And so uh, I got a, it's a great quote here, okay? So it's a quote from an anthropologist, Margaret Mead. You ever heard of her? Uh, not on the top of my list. Uh, so, and uh, she says here, she says, every known human society rests firmly on the learned nurturing behavior of men. But as she warned, this behavior being learned is fragile and can disappear rather easily under social conditions that no longer teach it effectively. Uh, and so I kind of disagree with her in terms of it being a, a learned or a taught, uh, a taught behavior. But I do agree with her that it is something that men pick up as a rite of passage. They pick it up from other men. Uh, they pick it up from society uh, in societal structures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, so, and that's where it's reinforced and that's where it's incentivized. And I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that when men, men, men look at society and they see that Femininity is incentivized, okay? This is a big deal for me, all right? You, if, you'll hear me say this quite a bit. You always get what you incentivize. You're going to get more of that. Oh, absolutely. All right, so if you're getting something, that means that you're... T- you know, I used to have a boss who used to say to me, he'd say, he'd say Tom, if you, if you'd say, you know, uh, he'd say, you're either, uh, you're either teaching it or you're allowing it, right? You know? Huh. So, you know, like you're either, you're either allowing it or you're teaching it if you see it. Because, you know, he'd say, I, I don't want to see this. And I come in and I see this behavior. And so I, I've asked you to stop the behavior and I still see it. So you're either teaching it or you're allowing it. To yeah, happen. you're promoting it for sure. Yeah, yeah one of the two, right. you know. And so uh, so if you see something in society, then that means that you're either teaching it or you're allowing it to be promoted. And so you're not putting a stop to it. And that was James Lindsay, James Lindsay's point. Whereas if we had a society full of masculine men, they wouldn't put up with this for a moment and they'd put an end to it tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so in, in terms of, uh, 
society, a young man, I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that a young man can look at society and clearly see that everything in the feminine is being uh, is being promoted uh, and is being incentivized. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with the point you made earlier about, you know, the whole friendship thing being harder because, you know, you got to cross the country a million times by the time you're 30 years old. There's a oh yeah right. There's a chart on on Twitter. I uh, put it up. I I've never seen this before. Somebody yeah. <laughs> somebody somebody made a chart about something I actually talk about all the time. Um, nice. You know, uh, yeah, a guy named Daniel Cox. He put up a chart that says friendship decline more pronounced among men. Oh yeah, so, is that right? Oh, yeah. is, that, is that Brad Wilcox? Yeah yeah he, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah he he retweeted it. Um, yeah yeah he did. Yep. It's got a. Big old chart here, though, of like people that have one friend, two friends, three friends, four friends. No, right? it's really true. It's... And man, like, think about your own life, like where you fall. Like, I mean, I, who one who has time for friends anymore? Like, that's that's gone. Like, I get to talk to you because we do this essentially. Yeah. I mean, outside of this, it's rare. And then outside of that, oh yeah, I'm my brother. Right, you know. Oh yeah, I no. Got, I got one friend. I've gone long stretches. Uh, I've gone long stretches of uh, time without friends, uh, and I've, um, I still have, uh, I still have one dear friend that I call a dear friend, and I haven't actually talked to him in, I think, at least five years. And I, I, I haven't seen him in ten. What can we do? Well, we'll go ahead and we'll talk about that in our next episode. Uh, that will be, uh, we'll do part two, and that'll be part two of the boy crisis. All right. So thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time on Notes from Blunderground. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground.